Um, I'm Tim, by the way. I'm the campus pastor here at Waters Church North Attleboro. We are one church in three locations, Waters Church Norwood, North Attleboro, and Taunton, Massachusetts. And Taunton watches all these messages by video. And so we want to say a welcome to them, everybody in North Attleboro. Let's welcome in Taunton campus. I'm so glad you're here. I want to read some scriptures for you. And I want, to, I want you to listen to the power of these scriptures. They're all about prayer, and they all have the same thing to say, but they say it in a slightly different way. And at the same time, these scriptures, it's like we believe them the least at times. Here's what Jesus says in John 14, 12 through 14. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these he will do, because I am going to the Father. And whatever you ask in my name, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. John 15, verse 16, you did not choose me. But I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. John chapter 16, verse 23 through 24. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until you, now you have not asked anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive. Ask, and you will receive. That your joy may be full. Anybody need some joy in the house? Matthew 7, verse 7 through 11. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock. And it will be open to you for everyone. Somebody say everyone. Everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if, this, if your son asks for a bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil... If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? These are powerful scriptures. These are the words of Jesus. And they're all saying the same thing. It's as if Jesus is shocked by the lack of prayer that the disciples exhibited. Because he's saying it again and again and again. Ask the Father for whatever you need and whatever you want and whatever you desire and it will be given to you. Ask in my name and it will be done for you. Seek and you will find not the door will be open. Over and over and over again, Jesus is commanding us to understand the power of prayer, to understand that we are all just a prayer away from something better. We are all just a prayer away from an answer. And it begs the question, for me especially, that if Jesus commanded us to pray so much, 
and believed that our prayers would be answered so much. Why don't we pray more? This writer Mark Batterson says this, the greatest tragedy in life is the prayers that go unanswered because they go unasked. Billy Graham, the great evangelist, said that heaven is filled with answers to prayer, prayers that were never prayed. And I wonder in your life, and I wonder in your family, in your marriage, in your job, what could change? What could completely reverse course? What could happen for you if instead of complaining about it, instead of moaning about it, instead of just choosing to live with it, you took it to God in prayer and you didn't give up until God answered your prayers. I'm praying that this series really radically changes our church and awakens us to the reality that we have a Father in heaven who is for us. You understand? He's for us. He's not against us. He wants to bless us. He wants to see our prayers answered because when we pray and God answers, he gets glory from that. And I'm praying that you understand that. And I'm praying that understanding that brings your prayer life to another level. And I'm praying that as by going to another level in your prayer life, you see answer after answer after answer. And when people start asking you, what's going on? You can say, my Father in heaven takes good care of me. Amen, Amen somebody? Amen. I want you to bow in a word of prayer with me. Father, we thank you for who you are. And we know and rely on the love that you have for us. And I pray that our eyes would be opened and our hearts would be changed and our minds would be enlightened to the reality of who you are and what prayer can do as we place our hope and our confidence completely on you. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Everybody said a big amen. amen. I want to give you five reasons why we don't pray. Five reasons that I believe are pretty much they cover the gamut of reasons why everybody doesn't pray. And two of these reasons are going to shock you. I'm going to save those two for the end. But I want to give you the first three real quick, and then we're going to deal a little bit in depth with the second, the second two or the last two. Okay, so five reasons why we don't pray. Take out your notes and follow along with me. And the first reason is this, complacency. Complacency. In other words, we're just complacent about things. We're just happy with the way that things are, or we settle for the way things are. Things could be different, but we settle back. We just decide that's my lot in life. This is the cross that I got to carry, and there's no changing it. And we allow the complacency to set in. And I'm amazed at how many times complacency actually becomes more of a problem the longer that you've known the Lord. That it's almost as if you're more and more satisfied with how life is rather than dreaming of what life could be and what God could do through you the longer that you've been in the faith. Do you know that God doesn't want you slowing down in this thing? He wants it getting better. He wants it getting we, the Bible says that he brings us from one level of glory to the next. In other words, when you follow Christ with all of your hearts, 
There is no recession in the glory of God. God always progresses. God always processes you forward in the power and in the glory of the Holy Spirit that is in you. It should be getting better. You should be seeing bigger things in your life than you ever saw before. But sometimes we let complacency come in. I believe that laws have been passed and officials have been elected and policies have been enacted in our country simply because God's people did not pray. I look at the world and I say there's a lot of things that we could be doing about this. But you know what we can always do about it? We can pray. And I wonder how many things in our nation right now could change simply by the people of God calling out to their father and saying, God, we know that there might be presidents and senators and congressmen sitting in seats of power in Washington, but you're sitting on the throne of heaven and you have all power, all authority, and all anointing to change our nation and bring it back to God. Is anybody with me on that one? But we get complacent. We get satisfied and we settle for where life is. In the Bible, prayer by God's people brought revival, peace, military victory, financial supply, and miracles that divided seas, stopped the sun from moving in the sky, and absolutely and raised the dead and did miracles beyond our wildest imaginations simply because... Somebody had the audacity to believe that God answers prayer, and it doesn't have to be this way. Something can happen in the name of Jesus Christ. Second reason we don't pray is unbelief. We just doubt, and we struggle with our doubts, and we let our doubts overrun us. I think that sometimes we got to see it like this. If we really believed, listen, if we really believed that prayer would take our business to another level, we would pray more. If we really believed that prayer would heal our marriage, we would pray more. If we really believed that prayer would take our rebellious teenager and turn him back to God, we would pray more. The bottom line is, Jesus says, this, it's your lack of faith simply because you don't believe. And because we doubt, and because we don't believe that it's possible, we stop praying. And I sometimes think about this. Sometimes we believe that 10 minutes of prayer, 10 minutes of prayer won't do nearly as much as 10 minutes on Google, or 10 minutes on Facebook, or 10 minutes talking to our friends about the problem on the phone. See, I believe that prayer moves the hand of God. And if we believe that, then we should, with all audacity of faith, reach out to God and say, Father, I believe that all power resides in your hand, and I'm going to pray this through until I see it come to pass. Jesus said, therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. You've got to believe it. When you pray, you can't take it to God and say, God, I know this probably won't happen, but... And God's just standing there saying, well, why are you asking me? Oh, God, I believe that this can happen. I, I believe that my 
marriage can get better. I believe that my spouse will come to know you. I believe that my children will be wonderful people of God as they grow up and they serve you. I, I pray and I hope for you that you are praying prayers over your children. Every single night I go up to, my bed, to the beds of my children and I lay my hands on their head and I kiss them and I say I love you but I pray for them every single night. And I'm not praying small prayers. I'm praying that they are the best man and woman of God in their generation. Now you can pray for your kids but you've got to ask God to do second best for them because mine are the best, alright? But are you praying for your kids? Are you laying hands on your kids and, and asking God to use them mightily in his kingdom? Don't wait until something bad happens to, ha to start praying for your kids. Don't wait until the devil's children get a hold of your kids. Pray for them now and start sowing seeds into their lives that will carry them through their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and beyond. I'm praying for my kids. I pray that you pray for yours. I think it would be an awesome testimony of our church if our kids, all of our kids, were the most radical followers of Jesus in any area of the nation when they're grown up. How's it going to happen? By us calling on God, saying, God, I know you can do something in my children's lives, and praying for it. Amen, somebody? Amen. Number, three, number three reason why we don't pray, discouragement. Let's be honest, we've all faced this in prayer. We've prayed for something and it didn't happen. We've asked God for something that was absolutely important. I remember as a, an, um, I was uh, 14 years old. 14 years old and my sister announced that her, her, her husband was going to leave her. And I remember I didn't go to bed that night. I was so distraught for my sister. And I prayed the whole night through and I got on my face on my knees and prayed all night long that he would change his mind and he would come back. And he never did. He walked out of her life and he never came back again. And I always wondered about that, Lord, didn't I pray? Didn't I ask you? Didn't I seek you? Didn't I do enough? And, and we've all been there, haven't we? We've all experienced times where we have prayed and prayed and prayed. Let's not be those untouchable kind of Christians who act as if the world is always fluttery and nice and nothing ever goes wrong and our prayers are never not answered and that we have it all together let's be honest sometimes we've prayed and nothing has happened and if we're not careful we'll get discouraged and then we'll stop praying somebody said it like this though prayer is like farming and i think about it with my kids especially i think of my prayers like seeds like a farmer he takes his seeds out to the field and he turns the soil, and he drops the seeds in, and then he expects a, a crop, right? But what kind, of, what kind of farmer would go out with the seeds in his hand, turn the soil, drop the seeds in the ground, cover the seeds up in the soil, and then just stand there and wait? Wait all day. Wait eight hours. And see nothing happen. No shoot coming out of the ground. And say, I guess that didn't work. What kind of farmer would do that? He knows that the seed has to take time to grow. I think about prayer like that. Prayer is a seed. Now, I want you to write this down. It's not in your notes, but I want you to write this down because this is going to revolutionize your prayer life. All right? Write it anywhere else, uh, anywhere you can find uh, a place to write it on that page or write it on your forearm. But you're going to want to remember this. Our prayers, write this down, our prayers never die. 
Our prayers never die. You know, my grandfather was the pastor of the Norwood Church, the Norwood campus. He was the pastor of that campus for 30 years. And he prayed that this church would go far and wide, beyond just that location, that that location would expand, but then it would start other locations and other locations beyond that. And he died back in 2001. And we started this campus in 2003, and we started the Taunton campus in 2010, and we're going to start another campus someday in the future. And I think about this, the prayers of my grandfather are still alive and well, though he's been dead for years. Our prayers never die. Same thing for you. Your prayers might not be answered in your lifetime. How about that? You might just be the one who sows the seed, but somebody else is going to reap the benefit. Don't get discouraged if you don't see the answer in a couple of days, in a couple of weeks, in a couple of years, in a couple of decades. The best kind of prayers are the ones that are answered after decades of praying because then you have even a greater testimony that you stayed the course, you didn't give up, and you believed God through all the hell and high water that he brought you through to get the answer. Our prayers never die and our praying should never stop because God answers prayers. But we can get discouraged. And we can deal with unanswered prayers. And let me just tell you, in the series, um, I think two weeks from now, we're going to talk about un two unanswered prayers. Two unanswered prayers that were prayed by Jesus. And it's going to shock you that even Jesus had to deal with unanswered prayers. How do we deal with that? We're going to talk about that in two weeks. Don't miss it. Now, that's, those are the first three reasons why we don't pray. Uh, discouragement, unbelief, complacency. These last two are going to shock you a little bit because the last two reasons why we don't pray have to do with who God is and what kind of God we serve. And I want to tell you that there are two qualities about our God that the Bible talks about over and over and over again that we, if we're not careful, can actually allow to us to stop praying about things because we believe certain things about God. Okay, the first reason, and it's number four on our list, is God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty. And we just think to ourselves, well, God is sovereign. That means that whatever he says he's going to do, he's going to do. And if God decides that he's going to do it, because he is sovereign, there's no changing it. And so when we think like that, when we mistake God's sovereignty for the reality that everything at all times is under his control, no matter what we do, then of course we're going to sit there and think, well, why bother praying? God's sovereign and God's going to do whatever he wants to do, so... I'm not praying. In fact, Jesus says something in, math, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 8. He says this. He says, your father knows what you need before you ask him. And so we think, well, he already knows. Why ask? But that's not what Jesus meant. Jesus meant this is what your father is like. He's intimately connected with your life, and he already knows what you need when you ask him. So by all means, pray, because he's going to say, I know, I've already got the wheels in motion to make that happen for your life. But we can get kind of drawn back in our prayer life. We, we can get hesitant to uh, believe that, that prayer could actually change something in our lives because if God's sovereign and God's in control then nothing he can do can change what God wants to do so why bother praying 
But let me, let me tell you, believing that God's sovereignty means that there's no changing what God will do is a misunderstanding of God's will. God has a will. Somebody say will. We've all heard this, God's will. What's God's will for my life? Do I know, am I in God's will? Am I out of God's will? God has a will. But let me tell you, let me ask you something. What's another name or what's another term to describe will? Will is just desire. God has a desire. And you have a desire. You have a will. You will to do things, and God wills to do things. Now, I'm going to shock you with this statement, but listen very closely. God's will does not always come to pass. God's will does not always come to pass. God does not always get what God wants. And I only need one scripture to prove this. You're saying to me, man, you have gone off the rails, pastor. I got one scripture to prove it. Here it is, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Ready? Here's what he says. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some understand slackness. But as long-suffering toward us, not, what's the next word? Not, say it like you mean it, not willing that any should perish, but that, what? All should come to repentance. The passage here in Peter tells us that God desires or God wills that none perish and that all, all people come to repentance. Now, I've got a question for you. Do all people come to repentance? Then God does not get what God wants. Listen to me very carefully. God has a will. But our wills can stop sometimes what God wants to see happen. Because we are made in the image of God. So God has a will and he made us in his image and in his likeness. That means that we have a will. And hear me, if anybody goes to hell, it's because they wanted to. People say, well, how could a loving God send people to hell? He doesn't send anyone to hell. They walk right through the doors of their own volition. They reject the will of God. They serve their own will, and they walk into hell. C.S. Lewis said there are two things that God is going to say to all people at the end of the day. Um, either he's going to say, my will be done, or thy will be done. In other words, God doesn't get what he wants, so hear me. It doesn't... What I'm trying to say to you is this, that even though God is sovereign, it doesn't mean that you can't do something to change what God wants to happen in your prayers, even when it might not be good for you. And that's where you got to be careful about your prayers. But your prayers have the potential to change God's will for your life. And you can change your life through prayer. Because if, 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 if that was the case, if there was no changing it, why would Jesus ever tell us in Luke 11, verse 9? I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And everyone who knocks, to them it will be open. And when we gather for prayer at 645 on Wednesday nights in this church, 
We are praying that God's will be done, absolutely, and there is surrender to the will of God in our lives, but we're praying for more than we can possibly imagine because the Bible says in Ephesians 3.20 that he is able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all we can ask or think. Our God is great. Our God is awesome, and we need to start believing him for what he and he alone is able to do. Start praying. Number five, and the last reason why we don't pray is another characteristic of God. And it's a strange characteristic, so give me a moment to explain it. God's immutability. God's immutability. What, what is God's immutability? Well, the word immutability just means unchangeability. In other words, and we know this, if you know the scriptures, God does not change. Amen. That's good news. The Bible says in Hebrews that Jesus, says Jesus the same yesterday, today, and forever. In James chapter 5, he says God has no shadow of turning. There's no shifting of who God is. God does not change. And that's absolutely true. God will never change. I'm so glad about that. That means he's reliable. That means who he was is always who he will be. He said to Moses, I am that I am. In other words, I'm not becoming and I'm not I was. I am. I'm perfect and I don't need to change. God doesn't change, but hear me, that means that his character doesn't change, but God's plans and intentions can change. God's plans and God's intentions can change. You say, how do I know this? Scripture. Scripture tells us on several occasions, and I've only got time to list a couple of them, several occasions where God changed what he was going to do simply because somebody prayed. And, and here's, <clears throat> here's why I think God put those stories in the Bible, so that we would understand we can change what God is going to do through our prayers. In the book of Exodus, the people of Israel had just come out of the Red Sea, come through the Red Sea, I'm sorry, and they had just been redeemed from slavery in Egypt, and they were sitting in the wilderness, and Moses goes up onto the mountain to meet with God. And he takes a little too long because the people get anxious that Moses is not coming back. So we all know the story, right? What happens? They decide to make a golden calf, and they dance around the calf, and they celebrate around the calf, and Aaron says, this is the God who saved you out of Egypt. Now you can understand that God at this moment, when he sees them starting to do that, is pretty... Um, pretty ticked off. He, and he has a right to be ticked off because he's the one that saved them. And now they're worshiping a golden cow. And he turns to Moses and he says, Moses, move out of the way. And I'm paraphrasing here. He's just like, step off, Moses. I'm going to burn them to death. I'm going to destroy them. I'm fed up with them. And the Bible says that Moses steps in between God and the people. And read it with me. It says in Exodus chapter 32, Verse 11, but Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent he did bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? And look at this next word. What's the next word Moses says? Turn. That's another word for change. Change from your burning anger and relent. That's another word for repent. In other words, change. Turn around from this disaster against your people. In other words, Moses says, God, think of your reputation. Think of what the Egyptians will say. And stop your intention 
to destroy this people. Moses prayed that God would change. And what happens? God changes. Verse, 30, verse 14, the same verse. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. And the word relent in the Hebrew is the same word from which we get the word repent. That God actually turned around and changed his mind. Uh, the great bishop, Archbishop Trench said, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It is laying hold of his highest willingness. It's not like you're up there saying, God, I, want, I, I really need you to stop being so angry. It's actually laying hold of what he wants to do. And he wants to spare us. And he wants to bless us. And he wants to save us. And he wants to heal us. And he wants to give us good things. We need to believe it. Or we'll never pray. There was another passage. Um, I'm going to skip that one. I'm just going to go to the last one. Jonah. We all know the prophet Jonah was God's little rebellious teenager, wasn't he? And God said, go to Nineveh and tell them I'm about to bring judgment. And Jonah says, no thanks, I'm not up for that mission. And he runs the other way and he gets on a ship bound for Tarshish, the furthest city possible that he could have gotten away from Nineveh. And we know the story. They encounter a storm and the, and the sailors throw him over the boat. And God sends a whale, a great fish, actually it doesn't say whale, a great fish. Swallows Jonah. Jonah's in the whale for how many days? Three days. Um, he says, God, you were right. I'm sorry. Um, could you get me out of here? And, and the fish vomits Jonah up onto dry ground. And God says, okay, how about that end of a thing? And, and Jonah says, okay, I'll do it this time. And he goes back into Nineveh at the command of God. And Jonah preaches the shortest sermon in human history. He preaches 40 more days and Nineveh will be destroyed. And that's all he said. 40 more days and Nineveh will be destroyed. That's the will of God for you right now. And the Bible says in Jonah chapter 3 that the king commanded everybody to repent. Everybody to stop doing evil. The king got everybody to fast and pray. He even got the animals to fast and pray. I don't even know how he did that, but he did that. And the Bible says this. Uh, in Jonah chapter 4, uh, verse ten, 3, verse 10. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would bring or do to them, and he did not do it. In other words, God changed what he was intending to do because they repented and prayed. And by the way, this is the reason why Jonah didn't want to go and preach in the first place. Because in Jonah chapter 4, it's a very funny chapter, he and God have this argument back and forth a little bit. And Jonah says, God, isn't this why? Isn't this why I told you I didn't want to go to Nineveh? Because I knew that you were slow to get angry and that you were gracious and compassionate. And I knew that if they repented, you would change your mind. Think Jonah's got an anger problem with his enemies? I mean, seriously? He actually wanted them to get burned and destroyed. And God says, no. They've repented and now I have changed my intention. There's a great man of God in the 18th century. And his name was George Mueller. And George Mueller cared, <clears throat> over 40 years, he cared for 10,000 orphans. And he cared for 10,000 orphans in the nation of, in, in Britain without any outside resource coming in. He never asked 
anybody for money. He never solicited funds. All he did was pray. One time he was on a ship bound for America, and he was late for an appointment, and he said, you got to press through the fog. And the guy said, the captain said, there's too much fog. He said, do you mind if I go down to your captain's quarters and pray? He said, fine, you can do it, but it's not going to change anything. I'm slowing the ship down. And he goes down to pray, and the captain comes down to see what's going on. And actually, the captain comes down to start praying with him, and he says, no, I don't need you to pray. God's already answered the prayer. And they walk up to the deck of the ship, and the sky is as clear as day. And they make their appointment. In fact, way back in the beginning of his life, he felt called to the mission field. And by the way, he was saved from a very immoral lifestyle. And he felt called to the mission field. And he knew that he had to go to school. And he asked God what to do. And God told him where to go to school and what to study. So he went to his father and he asked him for money. He said, if you need money for school, you're going to have to get it from somewhere else. And he knew that God wanted him to go here. So he prayed. And God said, go stand in the line for the registration. And he did. And he went and stood in line for the registration of the school. And as he was in line, somebody in that line came up to him and handed him an envelope filled with the exact amount of money that he needed to register for that school. Over and over and over again, this man prayed and God came through in his life. And I think about my own life, things that God has done in my life just because I have prayed. And I think about your life. And here's the question that I want to close with tonight. Please listen to me. What could change in your life right now if you simply prayed? I want you to stand with me.